0: So I know that some of you are new, and I know that we haven't shared in a long time. Actually, the last time that we spoke with you was right before we left to go to Mexico two years ago. So I just want to very briefly share about what the mission is. Uh, The mission was started in 1987 as Rancho de Sus Niños. And what happened was a couple and their two children had gone into Mexico just for a short-term missions trip. And I think they'd actually made several trips. And one time on the way back, They heard Holy Spirit say to them, will you go to Mexico and care for my children? And their answer was yes, we will go. So they sold everything, packed up everything, their two children, and they moved to near the Tijuana area where we currently are to find land, to dig a well, and to build the first orphanage house. Um, Orphanages are pretty common in Mexico. There is no foster care system like we have here. So the orphanages are... What would be the equivalent of that here? So that started in 1987. So it's been going for, you know, 30 some years, 34 years. And now the son of that couple and his wife and their family are the ones who are running the ministry. So now what started as just an orphanage spans three different countries. We have our primary base in Mexico. We have another base in Romania. And then we have a feeding program that we run in Nicaragua. And obviously we're just in Mexico uh, right now. And in just the Mexico campus alone, we have the orphanage, which I want you to picture. I don't know if you could see the houses there. It's rancher houses where um, boys and girls are divided um, based on age and gender. And they're in a home with... House parents. It's not an institution. It's not a cold kind of thing that you might have imagined if you've seen Annie or something. You know, nobody's scrubbing floors. Well, they do have chores, but it's not like that, okay? (laughs) So they have house parents. They have a, a huge network of people there who are loving on them. So we have the six orphanage houses, and then we also have a church. We have a school of missions, which is a supernatural ministry school. We have three schools that are for Mexican students that. Outside of the COVID time, they get bussed in from the community. Over 200 kids a day get bussed in to attend school on our campus. We have a family care program, which is a program that was started to keep kids out of the orphanage. Um what we have like CPS, like Child Protective Services here. They have something called DEAF, and DEAF comes in and takes children out if there's neglect or abuse or anything like that. So the family care program allows parents to be able to work, and their children are cared for between 10 and 12 hours a day, provided with meals and everything else that they need, uh, education, so that the parents don't lose their children. So it's kind of a preventative step. To We, we don't want to see more orphans. Uh, we want to see families reunited. Um, and then we also have the, what I forget, our American school, uh, which is for students who are U.S. citizens who are there because their parents are on staff or because their parents are attending the school of missions.
1: That's right. And, yeah, do you want to say that?
0: Yeah. So what we do, our primary jobs in the ministry are, Kevin is like the head IT audio Production, engineer, if it plugs in, they call him when it doesn't work. Um, so basically anything involving sound or service production, we have a minimum of five services a week that have worship and devotionals. Uh, We have services Monday through Thursday, and then Sunday morning, our church is open to the community. And um, then we also usually have a lot of additional things during the week when we have groups coming in and things like that. So he handles all of that. He trains uh, students and staff who want to learn sound, uh, the kids who live on the base, if they're interested in learning sound or audio production. Kevin's the one who mentors them. Um, So that's his primary role um, and my primary role is I'm the elementary teacher in the American school, so I teach all students in k- grades K through 5, and I'm also part of the worship team and lead worship and uh, play the keyboard and sing.
1: So outside of our normal day-to-day that we do, we also, um, there's different ministries that we have. We have trash and water ministry, and you're like, wow, well, how can trash and water be a ministry? Well, I am going to tell you. So trash ministry, we actually go out to the community. It's very... Expensive for a lot of the um, community around us to actually pay to have trash taken. So they'll either try to burn it or j- it'll just pile up and hopefully it blows away. So we go to those communities and we say, hey, we'll take your trash for you. And while we're taking their trash, a lot of people are surprised when we do that, Um, We'll take and say, okay, what can we pray for you for? What can we do for you? What what do you need? How can we help you? And we just minister to those people at that moment. It's not just about taking the trash and sharing the love of Jesus with them, but it's showing them what Jesus looks like and meeting a need that they have. Uh, We also do water. There are certain communities around us that do not have water, don't have access to water. So we take water to them. And the same thing, we're talking to them, we're loving on them, we're displaying Jesus to them, and we're ministering to them, praying for them. We've seen miracles happen. It's amazing. We also have a trailer ministry where we go out into the community and we take a trailer with us. We set up a sound system and we have a church. Uh, We have kids activities. We do uh, events like that. um, And we walk around, invite people at that, like about half an hour before we actually have this ministry, and people come out to that community, it's with typically in a park in one of the communities around us, and we just, again, love on people, we basically, the heart of the mission is to rescue, love, and restore, so we're rescuing people, we're working with people that meeting their needs, trying to rescue them from specific situations, and we're loving them through the entire process and then we're working with people to try to restore them restore dignity to them restore them as a child of God and their identity so working with the rancho kids we're we're working with them teaching them what it is to be a child of God and how Christ has given us that authority and what it means to walk in that power and and um and and so forth yeah
0: so One thing that we call Rancho is the Orphanless Orphanage, Um, and one of the dreams of the ministry is to see an orphanless world. And a lot of times when we hear the word orphan, we think of a child who, for whatever reason, doesn't have parents. But there is an orphan spirit that is very prevalent in our world. This idea of, I don't know who I am. I don't have an identity. Um, Because we live in a fatherless society, uh, there are so many people who have not been, the idea of family has not been established in them in a healthy way. And so they really are kind of just floating through life, not knowing who they are. So in building family and in building relationships, and in the the restoration part of the rescue, love, and restore, the love brings about restoration, and that's restoration to family. And family is the heart of the father. So an orphan spirit says, one day I'll be able to dream. One day I'll be able to look at my future from a different perspective. But a son, when they're looking at things, they say, I can walk in my dreams. I can live out what it is that I feel in my heart I'm supposed to do because I know who I am. I'm surrounded by family. So that's the difference between an orphan spirit and and a spirit of sonship. And that's one of the things that's really, really important to us. When we're building physical family with these kids, we're also is helping to establish in them the, their identity of who Christ says that they are. One thing that um, our, one of the base leaders has said that has really stuck with me is, our privilege is to love on the poor. Our privilege is to close the gap between the culture that has rejected them and the culture that is receiving them. So when a child comes into us, when someone comes into our church, We just want them to see that they're loved, no matter what their background is, whether they are homeless, whether they smell bad, whether they've never set foot in a church before, whatever that is, we want to close that culture gap between the poor and the church, that we receive you just the way you are, and you can come here and find love.
1: There's one more video that we want to show you that highlights uh, some of the ministry activities that we have going on there uh, as a family. And um, before we do that, I want to just share some stats with you. In Mexico, there is 300, on average, there's about a 350,000 people that are modern-day slaves. Um, so they are, they are actually um, caught up either in the cartels or something and, and being forced to serve. Any given day, there's an estimated 150,000 kids that are homeless, 50% of those it's estimated that are a part of the sexual, used for sexual purposes, trafficked for sexual purposes. Now, in Mexico, prostitution is legal. And um, in, and there's a specific ministry that we've been working with down there uh, in Tijuana directly called the Red Zone. And in there, there's a, it's a heavy drug populated area, heavy, a lot of homeless people and a lot of prostitution that happens there. And because of prostitution being legal, there is actually, um, they say that's okay, but they estimated that 80% of the prostitution that happens is forced prostitution. This is sex trafficking that's happening right there um, in in Mexico. And that's not okay. So this red zone area that we work in, that we've been dealing with, there are women that we are working with. So they have... um, feeding programs that they have been throughout the week, but there's a specific part that deals with these women that are prostituting themselves. So we walk the community. We go and we invite them in and say, hey, come in. We've got some food for you. We've got some clothes. And we have nurses and doctors that can check for them, check them up. So we provide medical care. We provide clothes. We do haircuts, food, kids' activities, all of those things. And here's the most amazing part during the doctor visits, when they get the checkups, they actually have to provide their real name, not their work name, their real name. And when we do that, when we get that information from them, we can talk to them and say, hey, what's, where's your family background? What, what, are you, what are you dealing with? Where are you from? And try to work with them, say, hey, do you want to get out of this? Is this an area that you want to get out? Because this is um, not something that is given by God, right? So we want to work with them and try to remove them from that situation if needed. And we, it goes through a long process, but eventually if people do want to get out, we can actually get the police involved and pull them out of that situation and reconnect them with their family. So um, these women and children are precious and created in the image of God We need to do everything we can to rescue them and to show them the Father's love, and then also begin to restore their identity as daughters of the uh, loving Father.
0: Yeah, and real quick before we play that video, another thing that you're going to see, and if you've seen any of our videos before, you might have already seen some clips of this, but when we went to Mexico in 2018 for just a week-long trip, the purpose for our visit was we went with a group um, called Global Celebration, and we did a thing called the Tijuana Love Ambush. And right near where we live, there's a huge garbage dump. And there's a whole community of people that make that their home. And um, their main way of uh, providing for themselves is to go through the things in the dump and either get what they can to survive or get what they can to sell to make money. And in that garbage dump, which I think typically there's about 150 people around there who live in that community. Um, We went in before, well, it's an outreach that happens every year, but we go in and put on a big feast for them, set up tables with white linen tablecloths and all that, and we we perform wedding ceremonies for the people that are living there because getting married in Mexico is usually uh, more expensive than what these people could afford. I mean, they're they're in survival mode. So they, a lot of times, have been living... I know there was one couple that got married that had been living together for decades yes. um, because getting married they didn't think was ever a possibility. And, you know, I think about this because... In, in rescuing and loving and restoring, it's removing shame off of people's lives. And I don't know if you ever grew up. I, I remember, like, especially older people, when you did something wrong, saying, shame on you. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Do you think, like, about how wrong that is? So, like, I think when I see, when I hear Kevin talking about the ministry and working with the women who are caught up in prostitution, you know, these people who are living in the garbage dump, shame off of you. You know, like, let's remove that shame. Let's let's do what we can as the body of Christ to help you to live in a way where the shame is off of you. You don't have to live in that. We can help you. And so we go in and perform wedding ceremonies. And so you'll see some clips of that in here. It's really an amazing, beautiful thing.
1: And one last thing. The uh, video, as you're watching it, there's one section where it splits into three screens and that center part that you're looking at, that's the one that's specifically where we minister to uh, the women who um, are in that area. Thank you.
2: generation we're turning over every stone Hoping to find salvation In a world that's left as cold Can we get back to the altar? Back to the altar When I know I deserve the fall And calls-
0: So you guys, we want to thank you so much because you have been faithfully supporting us in the two years that we've been there. And I know that you'll continue to as we head back on Tuesday. And we couldn't do this without you. I mean, we're, we're there physically, but you're there too. Your fingerprints are on the lives of every one of those kids and every one of those people in that video because you've been so faithful to support us financially and support us with your prayers. And we are so thankful for you. So thank you for that because that's, that's because of you. Um, So, we're going to jump in. We actually have a message to share, and you guys are going to love this. It's about surrender. Are you so excited? Woo! Surrender! All right. (laughs) Okay. Well, we'll see how you feel at the end, too. I mean, you don't sound too excited now, so. All right. So, um, we just want to talk a little bit about what surrender looks like in the life of a believer, in the life of a follower of Jesus. And. Um, I want to share with you some verses that you've probably heard a lot. They're pretty popular, but maybe you haven't thought of them in terms of surrender. So Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 say, Trust in the Lord completely and do not rely on your own opinions. That means your own insight and your own knowledge. With all of your heart, rely on him to guide you, and he will lead you in every decision you make. Become intimate with him in whatever you do, which means surrender and submit to him, and he will lead you wherever you go. He will guide and make your path straight. So what does surrender mean? Surrender means to yield power or control and to give ourselves over to something else. When we surrender, we choose to say, God, I don't know everything, but I know that you do. And God, I don't have all the answers, but I can trust in you that you do, that you see the beginning from the end and you know what is best for me and what's best for my life. It's saying that I put trust in you to completely fulfill the promises that you've given to me. Now, before we get too far into this, I want to say that sometimes when we hear the word surrender, we think of like giving up something that is precious to us because God tells us to. And sometimes it is that. But a lot of times, it's just hearing Holy Spirit and responding. A lot of times, surrender just looks like obedience. And surrender isn't always, although it sometimes is, giving up something not good, like giving up something bad that's in your life, something that's not bearing fruit, it's unproductive, it's maybe even hurting you in some way for something that's good. But most of the time, surrender is giving up something that's good for something that's better. So it doesn't necessarily look the way that you might think it looks. So when we heard God calling us to Mexico, we had a lot more questions than we had answers. There were a lot of things that we did not know. How is this all going to work out? We have four kids. We have a house to sell. We have jobs. We have like all of this stuff. How is this going to happen? We had to, every single day we had to say, God, we surrender this to you. We don't know what this looks like. We don't know how it's going to happen. We don't know any of the details, but we do know that you are telling us to do this. So we're just going to have to put complete and total confidence in you that you're going to put all of the pieces together. And that's not easy. It really is an everyday thing. It really is waking up in the morning and saying, This situation is out of my control, and that's where it needs to be. I give it to you again. And we have to decide what we want. Do we want control? I heard someone say recently, and this completely made me think, it said we can either have control or growth, but we can't have both. And we can have control or we can have intimacy, but we can't have both. And I was like, whoa, I never thought about it that way before. So if I think about it just in terms of our relationship, if I try to control everything in our relationship and I yell at him for how he loads the dishwasher, we don't have a dishwasher anymore, so we don't have to worry about that. We have kids. We have kids. <laughs> so, but, but if I, when we had a dishwasher, if I would have said, um, Kevin, that is not how you load a dishwasher. Let me show you how it's done. And every single thing in our relationship, in our home, um, I tried to control. We probably wouldn't have very much growth in our relationship right? We probably wouldn't have very much intimacy because when somebody always wants to control things, you don't necessarily want to be closer to that person. It kind of puts a wedge between you, right? So then I think about that in terms of my relationship with God and I can try to control things, but that isn't going to increase growth in my life or intimacy in my relationship with him. I have to be able to surrender that control over to him in order to see his promises fulfilled in my life. So just super quick, we see this in the Bible when we look at the lives of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah were people, Abraham was known as a man of great faith. But he was given a promise by God that he would not only have a son, but that he would be the father of many nations after decades and decades of them not being able to have a child. So Abraham latched onto that promise. Sarah was a little slower to believe, but he took hold of the promise and it didn't happen in the time that they thought it should happen. So what did they do? They took control. They said, you know what, God, this isn't happening the way we thought it would. Let's take control of this. Why don't, I'll give you my handmaiden and you can have a child with her. Well, that wasn't what God said was going to happen, but it did happen and it caused quite a few problems for a lot of people. Did God eventually fulfill his promise in Abraham and Sarah's life? He did. He did. But they took control first, and then he did it in the timing that he had originally intended to do it. How often do we say, God, I trust you, I give this situation over to you, but then every chance we get, we try to take control of that situation and not fully surrender it to God. So surrender means completely giving up our control to God.
1: So it doesn't just mean we need to surrender control. Surrendering also means we need to surrender our comfort zones. You know, for me, I would, I want to be up there with Brett on the soundboard. That's where, that's where I feel comfortable. But I need to be here, where I'm at, speaking to you now. You know, um, I don't know about your kids, but my kids, what they do is they'll be like, "Hey, dad, 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 dad." I really need this new bike, or I really need this new video game, or I really need this. And I'm like, hey, kids, no, you don't need that. You want that. And sometimes that's how we approach God. We start praying to him our wants, our wants, our wants. And that's not always the the best thing that we should be doing. We, you know, we, we pray, God, you know, if I have this new job, then I can feel so much more comfortable. I'll have a more comfortable life. And, and, and those things are good, but it's not just about being comfort, comforted. You know, we have our comfy clothes. You know, we have our comfort foods. We have our comfy couch or our comfy chair that we sit in. You know, all of those things are good, and they make us feel comfortable. You know, we have air conditioning in here. Air conditioning is a great thing. But what happens if the church sent you a message saying, hey, you know what? The AC is out. We're still going to have service, but uh, we want you to come out anyway. How many of you would say that that would not be acceptable and you wouldn't go? How many of you would come but maybe we would complain about it the whole time? You know, we have to look at things a little bit differently. You know, um, sometimes we even spend too much time managing our things, our stuff that we have. And, Um, when we should be managing things that are more important and taking care of those. You know, we get to a point where our stuff starts controlling us instead of us controlling our things. You know, oh, I can't go out and do this. I can't go out and minister because I have to be uh, at my house. I have to rearrange or I have to clean. And God is calling us out to go and do and to be and to serve those are the things that he's calling us to do. Um, you know, also with comfort zones, you know, we put ourselves in this little safe space. We have a box that our life is in. We have our wants. We put all the things that we want in there, all of the things that we need in there. Anything we don't like, we, we move out of our comfort zone. You know, we may move. Um, we, we might not like mayonnaise, so we take mayonnaise and we put it out of our comfort zone. We, all of the, we might have people that we, we put out of our comfort zone. That we, um, that maybe we just don't get along with, you know. We think that being in our comfort zone means security. You know what? I am in my comfort zone. This is where I'm secure, but that secure is a false security. You know, the only place that you can be fully secure is when you fully surrender. You know, we when life happens, we get so stressed out, and we think the world is falling apart. Our world is falling apart. You know, COVID hits, and the world goes crazy. Everything is mad. Everything has changed. And we get so worked up about it. We can have, you know, that is that, that, that type of thing is a false security. We need to be secure in Jesus, secure in God. There are comforts. Um, there is a comfort knowing that the one who knows everything has plans and purposes for our lives, and we are part of his story. His plans are for good. He gives us a future and a hope. There is no place I would rather be. Our comfort zone really needs to be his presence. That is where our comfort zone needs to be. And the amazing thing is, guys, our comfort zone, that presence of God, we can take with us wherever we go. It's not just here in church. It's out there in the world. It's in Mexico. It's in Romania. It's in our neighborhood. It's in our community. Those are the areas where we can be comfortable because we are in his presence.
0: Okay, so we've said that surrender is giving up control and surrender is laying aside comforts. The last thing that surrender is, is surrender is giving up the temporal in place of the eternal. It's giving up what you can see with your earthly eyes and taking on heaven's vision for your life. And what does that mean? Uh, Well, what it means is this. We as Americans and Christians too have really, really bought into this idea of the American dream. And in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with wanting to Be something and wanting to do something and wanting the house and the car and the job and all of those things. But when the pursuit of those things takes you away from the pursuit of the heart of the Father, then we have gotten our priorities out of line. When we are investing more of our resources into seeing ourselves advance in this life than in seeing His kingdom advance, we have misplaced priorities. And I. I I used to say, like, when we would have fundraisers and things just for whatever, like, wouldn't it be so nice if we could save all of the time that we're putting into doing this fundraiser and if the church would just, like, rise up and just provide for the need? Like, wouldn't that be awesome? And there's nothing wrong with fundraisers, but we have, there are times where we have to take off our American dream glasses and put on heaven's glasses. I mean, really all of the time that we need to keep on heaven's vision because there are times when Holy Spirit asks you to do something and it just doesn't does not make sense through earthly eyes, right? It does not make sense to give money to somebody serving in another country instead of putting that money towards the down payment for a bigger house, right? That's what, that's what people would say. Or it doesn't make sense to sponsor an orphan for $30 a month when you could use that money for yourself, you know, that, that's looking at it through the earth's size, but when we take on heaven's vision, it's so much easier to surrender those things that don't have eternal value and trade them for things that do. Um, we're told that we need to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, but I want to challenge you this morning to think about what that looks like in your life. You know, your neighbor is whoever you come in contact with throughout the day. It's your spouse. It's your children. It's your extended family. It's your friends. It's your coworkers. It's your physical neighbor in your community. It's the person you meet in the grocery store, in the library, wherever you are. That is your neighbor. What are we doing to love them the way that we love ourselves? I mean, are we even smiling at them? We, there are so many people in the world who are good people. And there are so many organizations that are good organizations. Like, there are, there are groups that are helping the homeless, that are helping the orphan, that are building houses. And, and they are doing good things. And they're not even doing it on the foundation of Jesus Christ. They're just doing it to be good people. How much more, you guys, are we supposed to love? Are we compelled to love because of the love of Jesus that's inside of us? Like, his love compels us to go deeper, to go further, right? We can, we should be able to easily lay down the things that are just temporal. You know, before we moved to Mexico, we sold our house and we loved our house. We actually said, we love this house a lot. We need to really, like when we bought it, like not long after we bought it, we really love this house. We need to be careful that we don't love this house so much that if God were to ask us to give up this house, that we would be like, oh, we don't want to, you know, we're not going to do that. And that might sound crazy, but maybe you love your house. Like when we bought our house, we thought that was our forever home. Like our grandkids are going to visit us in this house, okay. right? So when, when God started moving in our hearts to do this, we're like, oh, that means giving up our house. Well, I would rather be right in the center of the will of God anywhere than to be somewhere where he's calling me out of. Does that make sense? No matter how wonderful it is. And Kevin had a great job. He'd been there for over 20 years. And, I mean, he was very respected and favored in his company. And he laid that down and said, hey, let's go to Mexico. They're not paying us anything. (laughs) 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 That sounds fun. (laughs) Let's do that. Um, Now we do get paid a little bit. We get paid $65 a week. So you see why we need your support. because we have four boys <laughs> who like to eat. Anyway. All right. So so anyway, so we we love, we love our neighbor, we serve, we give because the love of Christ compels us to do that. Not because we find salvation in those works, not because our faith is we like our, our faith is built up by the work that we do, but but we are doing that because of the love of Christ in us says go, says serve, says give, says love, right? Um, there's a song that we sing. I don't know if you guys ever do it here. It's called Just Like Heaven. And whenever we sing this song at Rancho, there's the bridge. It says, you're such a perfect father. I'll worship you forever. I'll lay down any treasure for us to be together. And every time I hear that last line, I'm always like, oh. Like, you ever feel like gut punch? Oh, my gosh. Like, I need to process that. I'll lay down any treasure for us to be together. Guys, I have a hard time waking up early to spend time with him, like being real. Like I, I value my sleep. That's something that I have put before him in my life. So when I think I'll, I'll lay down any treasure, like Holy Spirit, like speak to me about this. What am I putting, what am I treasuring in place of you? Like what is coming between me and you? I want total intimacy. I want our relationship to be like this, right? So I need to ask myself that. What am I treasuring in place of you? So we look at the life of Jesus, and of course, he's the ultimate example of surrender. But I find this so amazing because a lot of times when we think of Jesus surrendering, we think of him dying on the cross, right? He surrendered his life for us so that our sins could be covered by his blood. But if you back up just a little bit before that, he goes into the garden of Gethsemane to pray. And we know that Jesus was on earth. He was fully God and he was fully man. When he goes into the garden, he doesn't go in and say, Father, all right, crucifixion's coming up. I'm so ready. I'm pumped. Like, let's do this for humanity. He says, if there's any way that this can't, that this doesn't have to happen, let's go that route. Like, let's not do this whole crucifixion thing if there's another way. So even Jesus, who was the son of God, had to lay down his flesh. He had to surrender what his flesh wanted in order to line up with the will of the Father. So it makes sense that we would have to do that regularly. Even Jesus had to do it, right? But then he does surrender because he says, but if this is how it has to be, all right, I surrender. I submit my will to yours. That's my version. I don't know. You won't find that in any translation probably, but so what did Jesus surrender? Did he surrender control absolutely? He had to completely lay down control so that he could do what his father was asking him to do. Did he have to surrender comforts? Yes, I would say so. I mean, he was surrendering all of his friends, all of the family that he had known on earth. He was literally he knew that this would be the end of his earthly life. And, you know, I think, what would I have done in that moment? I think I might have tried to bargain a little bit. Hey, you know, Father, if I stay here, those disciples, like, they could really use some more training. They still don't get it. I'm only halfway through my book of parables. Like, I have a lot more to do here. So maybe I should just stay here a little longer. Maybe we could just put off this whole crucifixion thing. But he doesn't do that. He completely surrenders, knowing that it means giving up control giving up comforts because he's chosen to take on the eyes of heaven instead of what he can see with his own eyes.
1: So Jesus gave up, he surrendered everything, right? We just talked about that. You know, he said that he only says the things that his father's said. He only does the things that he sees his father do. And we also need to take that example and live that out in our lives. So we need to build our life on that rock. I want to read with you Romans twelve, one and two. If you can put the slides up there. The beloved friends, beloved friends, it's all of you. What should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? Hasn't He been merciful to us? To surrender yourself to God to be His sacrifice, His living, sacred living sacrifices not just one of us being a sacrifice, but all of us being sacrifices. And live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart, for this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and Perfect in your own eyes?
0: Uh, actually, Kevin, it's, it's not in your own eyes, it's in
1: his eyes. It's not, it's not about me? No. Oh, it's about him? Right. Oh, so that means I would have to surrender control to him? Right. That also means I need to, st- I'm gonna have to step out of my comfort zone. Yeah. It's really changing the way that I think. So many of us, so many of us look at our Facebook page, look at our friends. And we see the life that they're living on Facebook. And we start imitating them. Instead, we should be imitating the life of Jesus. We need to ask God what our life should look like. What should we be doing? Why are we relying on our own knowledge and experiences when we could have an intimate relationship with the one who knows our future? Surrendering isn't just giving up. Isn't just giving up who you are. It's not about giving up who you are. It's giving up something you were never meant to have or be. That's what surrender is. I just want to share with you a story from El Salvador. Um, I've been to a few missions trips. And um, went with the team uh, from here into the nations. Whoop whoop! Everybody into <laughs> nations. And uh, so on our first trip to into the nations to El Salvador, I was. Um, we we work. We have it's a ten day trip. We go. We do a lot of amazing things. We see God do a lot of amazing things. And the very last day there, we get to go to the beach and we get to rest. So as we're resting, you know, we're we're actually. Going to the beach, and as we're driving past the beach, we're, we're looking over, we see the ocean, it's very beautiful, and um, Sandy stands up and says, Okay, guys, everybody who's gonna go into the water. I only want you to go up to your knees, no higher than your knees. The water is very uh, dangerous, it's got a very strong current. I'm sitting there thinking, Are you kidding me? Are you serious I'm a pretty good swimmer. I, I, can, I can handle going up a little higher than my knees. You know, I, can, I, I, I think I can go a little bit deeper than that. So we go to the beach, and I, I get in the water, and I get in just, just above my knees, you know, and I'm standing there, and I'm, I feel the sand under my feet in the water, and the waves coming in. And the wave would come in, and then the wave would go out. And as the wave would go out... All of a sudden, that sand that was under my feet, that was there, all of a sudden is completely gone. Only thing under my feet is rock. I'm standing on rock. And I'm like, whoa, where'd that rock come from? That's amazing. So I go and I step over to another spot. And I'm like, okay, I'm standing on sand. All of a sudden, the wave comes in, wave goes out, boom. All of a sudden, there's the rock. I'm like, whoa that is amazing. That current is super strong. I've never felt that before. So as I'm standing there thinking about this, God starts just talking to me and saying, you know, so many times we put stuff, we put sand in our lives that puts a layer between you and I. And we, as people of Christ, we need to um, work to, to limit that amount of sand that's keeping us from what God is calling us to do. You know, we go and we the current comes in. You know, Jesus. Sometimes God puts things. Th- things happen in our life. You know, the world world happens and things get stirred up and things happen and and uh, the the thing in our stuff we, we draws us closer to God. Right? We we have things happen, sicknesses happen. There's other th- events in our lives that happen. You know, there are times when God comes in and says, you know what, I'm not saying that the sicknesses is what's, what's caused by God, but I'm saying there are other times where God speaks to our hearts and reminds us that we need to wipe that sand out and we need to be standing firmly on that rock. So I want you guys to go ahead and close your eyes for a moment as Brandy begins to play the piano. So I want you to go ahead and with your eyes closed, just, I want you to look at a house. I want you to pretend that the house that you're imagining is your life. Does everybody see their house, their beautiful house, their beautiful life? In that house, you have different rooms which represent different parts of your life. We have a living room You know, that is our time with our family. We have our home office. That's where we work. We have a kitchen, and that's where we go and the places that we go to eat. We have our bedroom. And that is your time by yourself. Everybody picturing those things as you're walking through your house. I just want to ask you, do you see Christ in every room of your house? Do you see him in every area of your life? If you do, that is great, and that is awesome. If you don't, maybe that's an area of your life you need to surrender. But we can go even deeper here, guys. The thing is... Jesus isn't supposed to be an elf on the shelf in every room of our life. Too many times, us Christians go about our day and only when we need him, we pull him off the shelf. See, he he shouldn't just be in every room. He should be the foundation of our house that it's built on and the form and structure of the house. That no matter where you stand, he's always with you. And that when you step in from one room to the other room, he isn't just there with you, he has gone before you. We need him to be the fabric woven into every moment of our lives by surrendering everything we have and are. So here's the question. What is that thing that's keeping you from total intimacy with God? That thing that is keeping your feet off that rock. Is it work? Is it time management? Is it relationships? If you're not sure what that is, I just want you to ask Holy Spirit right now. First thing that pops into your mind, that's what it is. Holy Spirit, show me right now what is pulling me away from you. What is keeping me from total intimacy with you? What areas in my life have I chosen to control that I need to surrender? What comforts in my life have I put prioritized over you and doing what you've asked? Now, this altar is open. If anybody would like to come and just lay down that thing in your life, you can also stay in your seats and the Holy Spirit can work in your life right there. It's up to you. While you're thinking about what Holy Spirit is ta- talking to you about and laying those things down, Brandy's going to sing this song. for your mercies. We thank you for this beautiful life that you've given us. Lord God, we just surrender all to you, God. Our whole life, every room in our house. Our God, we just ask that you just just draw us closer to you like we've never been drawn before. Holy Spirit, just stir up in our hearts a longing for more of you, desperation that has never been there before. Let us press into you. Let us go deeper. Jesus, we just pray for everyone here, God. We just pray that you just bless them mightily. We thank you for them partnering with us. We thank you for, for family, God. We just pray that this week will be an amazing week, that you will open doors, that people will be changed forever. We thank you, Father. Jesus name. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live-streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.